Thank you very much for coming out this evening and to our video audience. Thank you for joining us. This is always a pleasure to have Walter Mosley here. But tonight it's particularly wonderful because we all get a chance to congratulate him on being the 2023 Diamond Dagger Award winner, which is a huge achievement. Yay! The Diamond Dagger is, is Britain's highest award for mystery. In this country, it's the Edgar Allan Poe Award. In, in Australia, it's the Ned Kelly Award, named after their most famous outlaw, which I really like. And in Canada, um, I'm trying to remember. Anyway, it's named after Canada's hangman. So every country seems to have <laughs> Britain is by far the most elegant, Walter. Yeah, diamonds. Yeah. yeah, you get an actual Cartier. They bring it, and then they take it away. You don't get to keep the diamond, no? but they give you a little lapel. Oh, okay. I'm sorry. Are there real diamonds on the lapel? <laughs> yeah. Oh, good. And women get earrings. So, right. Anyway, it's a wonderful award. So, and um, I want to introduce you to one of our favorite fans. Her, her name is Kyrie, and she's two years old. And if she gets loose, she'll try to climb up on you. <laughs> but she's adorable. So, with that, I'm going to hand this over to Patrick and say thank you very much for coming. All right. So that's the introduction to the introduction that I'm to Walter. Um, uh -huh. uh, Walter Mosley is one of America's most celebrated writers, as you all know. Uh, he was given the National Book Awards 2020 Medal for Distinguished Contribution to American Letters, uh, named a Grand Master of the Mystery Writers of America, and honored with the Annis Field Wolf Award, a Grammy, a Penn USA Lifetime Achievement Award, the Robert Kirsch Award, numerous Edgars, and several NAACP Image Awards. His work is translated into 25 languages. Uh, he's published fiction and nonfiction in The New Yorker, Playboy, and The Nation. As an executive producer, he adapted his novel, The Last Days of Ptolemy Gray. Did anybody see it? Awesome. Uh, for Apple TV Plus and serves as a writer and executive producer for FX's Snowfall. He's the author of the Easy Rollins novels, the Leonid McGill novels, the Socrates Fortlow novels, the Fearless Jones novels, and lots of other work, in, including exquisite standalone novels such as uh, John Woman, which mm. we had a great conversation about a couple of years ago, mm. uh, The Man in My Basement, Fortunate Son, and so many other great books. So how about another warm welcome for Walter Mosley? Thank you so much, Patrick. Well, it's really wonderful to be here. You know, this is, um, you know, this is one of the places you go. I think in, in, in for, as far as mystery bookstores, this is the place I go. Uh, there was a bookstore I used to go to in L.A. called Eswan, but they closed, so I can't go there anymore. But, um, but it's wonderful to be here. It's always great to be out in the desert anyway. You know, I love the desert. And, um, and yeah, it's been, it's been a very interesting you know, time, I mean, the pandemic has been interesting for me. You know, a lot of people come to me and they'll say, oh, so how, how are you doing the pandemic, you know? I said, well, you know, I'm in my house all the time. And whenever I talk to anybody, it's electronically. And I said that it's the way it was before the pandemic. You know, I mean, it's, it's the same, you know, and people don't. And I was in L.A. doing, um, you know, work on that on that show, Snowfall, which is over now. I mean, it, it'll be over the season. And um I, you know, I, I, I mean, I liked working on the show, but I hated being in a writer's room. And then all of a sudden I didn't have to anymore. I could just sit in my house and, you know, turn on my computer, you know, I loved it. I loved it. It was great. And, um, and now I guess the pandemic is kind of 
over. At least it looks like it. Uh, and so I'm, I'm back in the world, but I'm not in a writer's room. So I'm very happy. And I've been writing books. I mean, I just, I've been writing books a lot. And, and, and that's been a lot of fun because I like doing film. I, I do. I like it. It's fun. But it's not as satisfying to me as fiction. You know, there's, there's, a, there's a deeper satisfaction. I don't even know why because you can, you know, it's just as hard to write a screenplay and you can do just as much with a screenplay. But, it, but for me, fiction is the thing. I just, I just adore it. And, you know, even nonfiction, you know, prose. I, I like writing, you know, uh, uh, Percival Everett was uh, getting an award uh, in L.A., um, a couple of nights ago, and, and I had to introduce him. And it was so much fun to write my little page that I'm going to say, because I'm always very, like, you know, committed. It's going to be short. And no, there's no, in, no introduction that should be long, you know, it, it, even no matter how important that person is. Um, you, have to, you have to, you know, say the, the major things, you know, and that's, I think that's what I love about fiction. I don't know why I'm talking about this stuff. I'm just talking. But I have a book. Um, it's, a, it's a new uh, uh, Joe King Oliver novel. And it, it's, it's odd for me because I, the other, I was talking to somebody about the book. And they said, oh, Walter, you know, you haven't written about him in five years. And I, it's true. I, I didn't believe it. And I, and I got the book out and I said, oh, God, 2018. You know, it's... it's uh, it's funny, but I, I, I wrote this Joe King Oliver book, and I'm very happy with it uh, because for, I, I didn't really understand when I was writing the book what well, I knew the, what the plot was, and I knew what the mystery was, but I didn't know what the book is about because, you know, books are always about something, you know, and, it, and I realized that it, it was figuring out how to replace hatred with love. How, how does that happen? How can it happen? What's the possibility of it? And and I was really happy. I said, wow, that's what my book's about. And so I, I just told you. Now, I'm going to do a very short reading, two little uh, minor sections. Anybody who knows Joe King Oliver knows that he was a cop, and he, he wasn't necessarily a good guy, but he was a very good cop, and he was a very honest cop. And... Um, and he was too honest, so the police actually turned against him. They almost killed him, but they didn't quite. They sent him to Rikers Island. They let him out of Rikers Island. They kind of destroyed his life. His wife uh, left him. Uh, the only person he has really left in his life is this, this hitman who likes him for odd reasons and uh, his, his daughter, who adores him, you know, and who, who's, there, who's there for him. And... So that's, you know, that was the, the previous novel and, and that was, it had, had its meaning. And then, and now, uh, it's, it's, a, you know, it's a couple of years later, his 92, 93 year old grandmother, uh, and her, you know, ex sharecropper grandmother and her new, uh, three quarters boyfriend, uh, uh, Roger Ferris, who's, you know, the richest man in the world, uh, with billions and billions and hundreds of billions of dollars. Uh, he gets called uh, to Roger Ferris's house because Ferris needs something for him. Now he's done some favors for him, so um, so that's that's what it's about. So I'm going to talk a little bit about the the favor these these uh, short readings. The first one is. Considering the general lavishness of the manor, Roger's den was an anomaly, as it was small and unadorned. 
The walls, ceiling, and floor were all somewhere around 18 feet in width and length. The floor was sealed pine and the desk pressboard, lined with lime-colored linoleum. Slatted fold ch folded chairs were the only seats, and there wasn't even a window. He went to stand behind the zombie desk. You don't have a bookcase, I asked, lowering onto my seat. This is the room I do business in, he said. No comfort, no distractions. Roger was six feet tall and weighed maybe 40 pounds more than my 98-pound grandmother. He sat exhibiting both gravity and elegance. Then he took out a pair of glasses with semi-transparent red frames and donned them. Staring at me through those lenses, he was reminiscent of a predatory bird thousands of years before humans dominated the Americas. Having been told that this utility closet of an office was only about business, I asked, this got to do with your kids? Not at all. Huh. There's a man named Alfred Xavier Quiller, Roger began. I'd heard the name. The natural-born genius Quiller was a poster boy for the men of action and other like-minded alt-right organizations. I knew the name, though at the moment I couldn't recall his shtick. Mr. Quiller has been detained by an as-yet unidentified branch of the government. That or, or maybe an independent agency representing the government. An independent agency? How, how does that work? Roger sat back in his folding chair, evaluating the question. There are times, he said, when legitimate federal institutions are not allowed to take action. At these times, they often use independent agencies to obviate the law. I see, said the blind man. Quiller is being investigated for tax evasion, Roger continued, of involvement in the murder of a U.S. citizen on foreign soil and for the sale of sensitive information to the Russians. That's a full dance card. I don't like him. He's a misogynist, a racist, a thief, and an elitist of the highest order. I'd be happy to see him shot by firing squad, hanged by the neck, or stoned in the town square. But the government may very well be railroading him, and the betrayal of our civil rights is a crime worse than any he's being held for. So, I reasoned, the stoning has to wait for a constitutional review? Excuse me, Joe. I... This issue is important to me. His plaintive response was a surprise. Ferris was an easygoing boss man most of the time. That, and he usually laughed at my jokes. Sorry, I said. King Silver squinted hard and then lowered his head. He had to reach up to keep the red glasses from sliding off his nose. After a few seconds, he looked up again. Quiller got a note to me. He said that he was innocent of the crimes he was blamed for, that he was extradited from France only after being kidnapped from a dacha, dacha in, uh, he owns in Little Peach. That's an excerpt of Minsk in Belarus. He says the government has been holding him without due process. When did all this happen, I asked. I mean, usually something like this is 24-hour news. I'm not sure. Maybe the government is afraid of, of what might come out. That'd be a good reason to hold him without judicial review. Fucking Patriot Act. If he's being held unofficially, how did he manage to reach out to you? Bribed a guard, gave him, a, you know, a, a token I'd know was his and, and a note explaining his situation. Roger looked into my eyes, nearly beseeching me, though I could not tell for what. 
They have him in a private cell on Rikers Island, he added. Rikers, I uttered, with hardly a tremor. The cold went through my shoulders all the way down to the fingertips. I'd spent time as a prisoner in Rikers. They gave me a private room, too. It was called solitary confinement, and it nearly broke me. Yes, Roger concurred. They're holding him there uh, illegally while getting their ducks in a row. What does that have to do with you? The billionaire let out a sigh and then hesitated. He knows that my weak spot is human rights. It didn't sound like much of a reason, but I kept that opinion to myself. I want you to go to Quiller, Roger went on. Question him and then look into his claims. Find out if he really was kidnapped. Identify the dead man. Decide if he was murdered. And if he was, was the killing justified? Guilt or innocence is why you have a trial, I count. A trial would be meaningless in this case. I've reached out to the so-called authorities. They, they have turned a cold shoulder. I smiled, thinking about my own joints. Something funny? Roger wanted to know. Calm down, man. You asked me to come and I'm here. You wanted me to hear you out and I'm listening. Roger nodded and leaned back in his uncomfortable chair. I know, Joe. Thank you for coming. So what if you believe that this man is, getting, is not getting a fair shake? I could point out 10,000 young and old men and women around the country in the same situation. What's special about Quiller? Or in other words, what does he have on you? My question had a definite impact on Roger's face. It, it, it was a look of haggard determination. I have committed no crime, he said. But are you innocent? I shouldn't have asked, but I couldn't help it. I've done my share of wrong in this life, he acknowledged. I, I, I've cheated and stolen. Some might even say I've been the cause of a few deaths. You're right. I owe a debt to Quiller, but not because of any culpability on my part. It was a delicately constructed claim. A slight breeze could have blown it over, but that was true of most of my clients. Is that all? I asked the brooding billionaire. Will you do it? I'll start and see where it goes. That's all I can ask. He said, and then he paused. Br brunch is served soon. Let's go over the particulars and then get something to eat. So, you know, he takes the job. Talks to his grandmother. I like his grandmother. His grandmother lives in this, you know, unbelievably big mansion on Manhattan overlooking the Hudson. And, you know, they have all these people serving them food, but she always does her own dishes. She's really, she's really clear that she does her own work, you know. And anyway, so his daughter is there. His daughter is there. His, his uh, grandmother is there. Uh, and, you know, he takes the job and they leave. And now, and now he's back at work. His daughter works for him. Uh, and, and he's told her what he's doing. And so he's in his office and she's in the outer office. Or at least that's where, that's where we start. She was wearing a floral dress of blues and reds with a white background and a choke chain comprised of deep red beads, beads each carved into the form of a rose. The hem of the dress flared out at the knee. All that beauty, and yet she strode in like a prosecuting attorney ready to seek the death penalty. She took a chair before the desk and I gave a smile that had not the slightest hope. What's up? I asked. Quiller is a killer, she rhymed. Maybe he hasn't shot anybody, but his words are deadlier than a fully loaded assault rifle. Are we forgetting the freedom of speech? 
He's still a killer. So am I. That was the first time I made such a confession to my daughter. She knew, of course, that I had often went armed in the world. She even knew that I had been in gun battles where people had died. But I'd never been so blasé as to admit my culpability with a shrug. Asia Denise looked as if she wanted to spit on the ground at my feet. He's a murderer, she said. You have, I suppose, heard of the burden of proof. If she was going to prosecute, I was going to show that I could lawyer, too. How can you sit there and defend him like that? He spews poison in his books and on TV appearances, and, and, and he shits on our rights. Asia knew how much I hated it when she cursed. I was old school. In my heart, I held women to what used to be called a higher standard. But the world had changed, and if I wanted a relationship with the new order, I had to at least be aware of his expectations. Sure, I said. All that's true. But Roger asked me to do a job, and I worked for a living. But Quiller, she sputtered, and, and then was lost for a second or two. He's a racist. So am I, and just about every other dark-skinned person that lives in America. This whole country got the poison of racism in its marrow. You know that. But he hates black people, Daddy. He hates you and me and Mom, and everybody likes us. Like, if, if you help him, you'll be helping what he believes in. It was a day of many deep breaths. I gazed into the anger of my daughter's eyes, feeling pride for what she was saying. I was happy that she was still pure in mind, absolute in her expectations of what was right. Do you hate anybody, honey? I, I mean, without good reason, a damn good reason. Asia was smarter than I and quicker, too. She saw where my argument would lead and so slowed her accusatorial role. Mr. Ferris could hire somebody else to take this case, she said. Sure he could, but he asked me. You've turned down potential clients before. Roger's more than a client. Yeah, he's rich. No, it's not that. He makes your great-grandmother very happy, happier than she's been since your great-grandfather died. And one time, when he didn't have to, he helped a client of mine, a black man, escape the injustice of the criminal courts. She knew what I was talking about. But Quiller has said such terrible things, and, and he preaches that everyone who is not a white male is less than human. Forty percent less, I add. How can you laugh at this? I'm not laughing, Asia. I'm trying to prove to you that I know what I'm doing, and I'm not working for Quiller. I'd never take his money, but I owe Roger. I'm going to look into the case, and I'm going to find out if the 40 percenter is being railroaded, and I'll turn that information over to the man who hired me. If I find out that Quiller is guilty, I'll just walk away. Asa's eyes gauged my worth. It looked as if she found me lacking. That's a moment that all fathers have to face. After her interminable silence, Asia said, I'm going back to my desk. She stood up and walked out. If someone had asked me at that moment to explain my emotional state, I would have said everything good and everything bad that makes me human. Thank you. Thoughts, notions, ideas, minor criticisms? Yes? Did you always know you were going back to this I wasn't sure of it. I knew I could have gone back, but, you know, I wasn't, you know, it could have just been that one book. But, you know, I like him. You know, I've never written about a, 
my characters, you know, many, 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 many people who write in the genre write about ex-policemen. And, like, that's the last thing in the world I'm interested in. I, I, just not at all. But somehow when it came to writing this book, um, he had to be an, ex, a, an ex-policeman to have been in prison. And, and so I, I really, I like it that I'm doing that. You know, it's a, it's, it's a, it's a different thing. It makes me feel like I'm more a part of the genre or something, you know? Yes. Well, I wish I hadn't answered that question. I have none. I, I don't know why I wrote this book. You know, I, I, I really don't. It, 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 I, I knew I, I liked this character and I, and I, and I felt that I could write this book. It was in my head, but like I said, I didn't know what I was writing about until well after it was done. So, um, so that's why I wrote it, but I didn't know that was why I wrote it. Was it about empathy among other things? Well, there's, I mean, this is a very empathetic character. You know, Joe, Joe Oliver, he, he hasn't, you know, he's had a hard life, but not hard like Easy Rollins or Socrates Fortlow or Fearless Jones. He, he hadn't lived that kind of life, you know. He had a job. He was a policeman. He actually thought he could be a policeman, and that would make sense, you know. Um, you know, that it wouldn't be a contradiction to his, to his empathy. And, you know, so I, f I find him to be a very, you know, he's a sensitive guy. He, he doesn't, he, he's not in control of his, uh, you know, passions. Uh, not as much as my other characters, but, you know, he's, you know, he's trying. He, he really tries. There's a great line. It says, uh, I went into jail, a guardian of the peace, and I came out lawless, or at least unbound. Really yeah. Great way to describe it. Well, thank you. Yes. Up on your comment about not knowing, uh, not uh, really knowing until you were done. When you're writing your characters, do you know ahead of time where you want to take them, or do they take you where they want to go? You know, that's like that sounds like a date, right? <laughs> I know where I want to take this date, you know, but then I go somewhere else, you know, which, you know, it's always a surprise. So and I and I kind of I kind of look at writing like that, mm -hmm. you know, the the idea. I, I actually a guy gave me a ride today here, and you know he's from uh, he's from Baghdad, and he was trying to write something, and he was and he was talking, and I could tell when he was when he was talking that he he thought you could contain a novel in your head, and you can, you can you can you know, I mean you have, see pieces of it and parts of it and stories and arcs and stuff like that, but if it's if it fits in your head, it's not a novel. You know, and I, you know, and, you know, and he was shocked. He went, you don't know before you write it? You know, because that's because people look at novels like they look at architecture, right? So, well, you're going to build a building. you got to know everything you're doing before you start building. And that's true. You know, I mean, you can't, you know, you, you don't want, you know, your building to fall over. You know, oh, the building fell down. What happened? But but novels aren't like that. So there isn't a particular moment where it took you in that other direction. It just at some point you realize, oh, we're down this road. Well, yeah, after I'd written the book. Right. Yeah, and I'd finished it and the mystery worked. You know, because a lot of people kind of think that, it, you know, I, I think that when you approach, especially a genre like this, mm -hmm. well, it's the plot. 
So the plot is somebody's killed, right. and then we have to find out who killed them, which is absolutely true. You know, somebody's killed, and you have to find out, or some crime has been committed, and you have to find out, you know, what happened, whether or not you can fix it. But that's the smallest part of a mystery. Yeah. Thank you. Or any other book. Yes, sir. Which comes first, the story or the character of your, I think, five different people that you've written about? Is, is it that delineated or do they kind of merge together where this story hits this particular character or you, you think you want to write for this character and then create the story? I, I could just say yes. <laughs> and then that, it, would, it would be fun. Because, you know, sometimes it's, it's about the character and, you know, uh, uh, you know for instance, uh, Socrates Forla. I, I, you know, I, I, was, I, was, I was thinking I was at Norton there. It was a long time ago and before I wrote it. And, and I had written a, a mystery and, and, uh, and they, they, were, they sent me out uh, on a tour. They said, Walter, you're black and you're Jewish. And so we're going to send you to a tour of Southern Jewish book festivals. <laughs> it was very funny. And, but, you know, it was great, you know, because, you know, when you go to a, a you know, Jewish book festival, everybody's bought the book and everybody's read it before they come. I mean, it's amazing. And so, so you have this thing that's going on. And, um, but there's always, you know, I went to a whole bunch of them and always there, three ladies, you know, who were old then. I'm older now than they were then, but I was younger then. So there was a, these older ladies were sitting there and they were looking, you know, and they always asked the same question. They say, um, what we want to know is where your mother is in the fiction, because we see that, you know, your father, because we black people, blah, blah, blah. And I try to give some kind of answer, which actually would make sense of how my mother has influenced my life, etc. But they didn't accept it. And there's a there's a moment in the in the book where Easy was reading Hadrian, and they said, "Well, when he was reading Hadrian, that's the Jewish part." And I'm going, Hadrian wasn't Jewish, you know, At like and. But I understood there was an there was a sense these these three ladies at the book at, you know at a book festival you know they were they thought of intellectual and they're not, not going to think of a black people as intellectuals you know because whatever and so I had to write a book about a guy who was a philosopher that these ladies wouldn't claim I just and I wasn't having anything against these ladies but I wanted to to talk about somebody being intelligent. And, 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 and philosophical, which is a whole other thing, you know, and, uh, you know, and, you know, first I thought maybe somebody be, you know, he'd, he'd be in prison. No, no. First I thought he would be a, a minister. And then I thought he'd be at a university. And then I thought he'd be from Africa. And finally I said, no, 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 the American, uh, you know, uh, university for black people prison. And so I sent, you know, I, I sent him there and, you know, and, but you know, so I named him. So I named him Socrates, and you know because Socrates talks. I mean, he you know he doesn't. You don't have to be educated. You don't have to be able to write. You just have to be able to talk and to continue to talk and to get other people to talk. And so that's where that came from. So was it the character first? Or was it the story first? Or was you know it was those three ladies? I ask Walter every year when Socrates coming back. Did it, did anybody see the wonderful uh, HBO adaptation of uh, 
Always outnumbered, always outgunned. Were you happy with that? I thought that was fantastic. That was wonderful. Yeah, yeah. that was great. Lots of Fish wants to do it again. I mean, maybe we will. You know, I mean, we're, we've been talking about it. It would be fun to do. Um, you know, I it, it's, walking the dog. Huh? No, I don't think I might get, just skip over walking the dog. I'm not sure though. I'm not sure. I, I have to go back. I might write a new book though. I mean, I, it's fun to write those stories. You know, it's like you know when when you have people facing impossible problems. Which is which is what the original Socrates did, you know. He he faced impossible problems and didn't necessarily come up with answers. But anyway, any other thoughts, notions, ideas, questions? Yes. John Woman. Yeah, John Woman. It took me twenty years. Yeah. The question was, how long? What's the longest a story has germinated? Uh, yeah, twenty years. I I I I got the I, I I wrote the first part almost like that, and then I kept on trying to figure out how to write the rest of it. And I just and I would start and it wouldn't make any sense. And I would start and it wouldn't make any sense. And finally, I realized. I mean, almost stupidly, one day I said, "Oh right, I need to outline the second half of the novel." Because usually you start from the beginning, and I had just written the beginning, so I thought the rest of it should be like that. But the one day I realized, oh, I have to outline it. Uh, John Woman, it's a, a, a novel of mine about um, uh, a deconstructionist historian. And I really like that because I think all historians are, historians are deconstructionists because there's no truth to history. They, you know, there's some truth to history, which is what makes it dangerous. But there's no real, you know, in the end, you don't know. Well, who, you know, I, you could take two people, one person who's, you know, far left and the other one's far right. And you say, OK, I want you guys to write biographies of Ronald Reagan. Uh, they will probably say the same facts, but in a way that won't be anything alike, you know, and this this is history. Anybody studying the history of Ronald Reagan is going to have to read both books, you know, and then they're going to pretend that they can be objective, but they can't either. You know. 20 years. Maybe we could talk a little bit more about Quiller. Uh, what a fascinating character. And uh, I don't want to give too much away. That's the trouble is spoiling. But this is very early on in the book. I mean, this guy is fascinating. You know, he's uh, he's the alt-right, you know, leader. Um, but he also graduated from, I got my little notes here. He graduated from MIT when he was 16 or 17. Uh, he's an inventor, a poet, and a painter. Um, I think he's 48 years old. An animal rights supporter. Uh, prolific writer, et cetera, you know, very compli complicated person. Yeah, well, you know, I, 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 it, and it's interesting, you know, the, you know, one of the, the problems, I, 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 this may not be an answer you're looking for, but one of the problems uh, I see in America is that there are all these, it, it used to be that America, uh, the, the racism in America was everywhere. It's, it's most places still, but capitalism has shrugged off racism. They said, we're going to oppress everybody equally. We, it's, it's not, you know, if you're white, you're going to get your Social Security that we give you. If you're black, you're going to get it. We don't care. If the black, you do better. I don't care. You know, and then, of course, you know, there, I don't believe in the existence of white people. But uh, when, when you go beyond it, people, there are people who think they're white. And, and, and the notion that you have somebody thinking that, that, that they're white and all of a sudden they're doing as bad as black people are. And they're saying... Well, you think, well, you begin to think, well, the black people must be doing better, which is a little bit true, you know. Um, and so then this conflict occurs 
right? That, that, that's the thing. And, and anger and hatred. And, you know, the other thing about Quiller is he doesn't know who his father is. His mother is, is terrible. He's been on his own his entire life. He's angry. He's really, really angry. And there are all these people in America who are angry. Um, but his he, wife is one of the best characters. Huh? In the bo- his wife was one of the best characters in the book. Oh, yeah, the wife is great. Man. <laughs> and, and I think that what you do is you find out that he changes. And, and that change, the, 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 the transition of who he is, which has nothing to do with his survival, uh, is, is the most important part of the novel. And, um, and, I, and I'm, you know, and I, I just, I, I need to talk about it because I keep on thinking, you see these people, you know, like if, on YouTube, you see these people, there's two old people there, like in their 80s, they retired in their, when they were 62, they now have no money. They used to have money. You know, the guy worked in a bank and, and the woman had, you know, like a little business, but now she can't walk and all he can do is greet people at, at Walmart. And they can't live on that, you know? And it's it's like this. And of course, you you understand why people like that would like Donald Trump, you know, because Donald Trump's saying, I know that you've been cheated. And they have been cheated. But the truth is, we've all been cheated. And if we could get together, it would be fantastic. We would say, well, you know, okay. Uh, you got this problem with money. I got this problem with money. We got a problem with money. Let's do something about that, you know, and not, you know, not worry about, you know, what, which president or which Congress, you know, because Congress going to do what you want them to do. President's going to do what you want them to do. I don't know about the Supreme Court, but, you know, I don't know that's something else. And there's also this great you know, second plot in the book regarding, yep. you know, uh, you know, Oliver's ex-wife's uh, <laughs> husband is in jail and <laughs> he's working with the Russian mob buying the scam buying heating oil uh, and selling you it guys as know diesel the scam? fuel. The, the scam you buy, you buy heating fuel for two dollars, and then you sell uh, uh, diesel fuel for six. It's like it's a, it's a big and you know because I mean some people go out and they rob liquor stores. And you think what the Russians they they rob the government, you know, and they make mon- I'm billions of dollars on it. And uh, yeah, and he you know this guy was work, work, working with them, the, his ex wife's. His ex-wife's husband, he hates his ex-wife, he hates her, her husband, but he loves his daughter, and he can't let the wife get destroyed, and so he has to help this guy uh, out of his problem, you know. It's, te- it's really, you know, but that's just, it's almost like a funny side thing in the, in the thing. Yes? I did. Yeah. No, I knew all, I knew all the things that were happening, you know, that, you know, it's, you know, this is happening and this is happening and this is happening. And, you know, and there's a lot more. I mean, I mean, there's a lot that goes on in this book and I think some people get a little lost in it, but I, I just love writing. I really, I just love writing. You just, you know, you're just sitting there writing, you know, and, and all these, you know, there are all these ideas and possibilities and they're not working. So you have to work them out. So you feel really bad, but then you worked it out and you feel really good. You know, uh, I love, you know, one thing is I do, I, I usually read a book out loud uh, when I get to the 10th or 11th or 12th uh, draft and it's just so I can hear it. Uh, and, you know, I record it. It's really, you know, it's, it's, it's great. Yeah. Cause novels can be very complex, but they're also very simple in the end. You know, 
They kind of have to be, you know, I, and even though I love poets to death, sometimes poets forget that, you know, yeah. and they, you know, and they go and it, it gets so far out there. I said, well, wait a second. I don't get this, you know, and, and, you know, it, it used to be that, that people would try to fix it now, but now they blame you for not understanding. So what do you mean? You don't, you don't, you don't read a, a middle Hebrew. Well, how else can you understand my poem? I'm like, man, I, don't, I can't go out and learn Hebrew to read your poem, you know? Anyway. <laughs> and there's another great character, Olia. Is that how you pronounce it? Olia Ruiz? Yeah. Can you yeah. talk, talk about her at all? Well, no. Uh, yeah, so that's the, the bodyguard, right? You're, yep. you're talking about the bodyguard. Okay. Just, to make, just make sure that that. Yeah, well, no, I, I, I love the Continental Op, and she's, and she's patterned on uh, Dashiell Hammett's Continental Op. You know? She worked. She, we just last night had our hard-boiled discussion group, and we talked about the very strange and interesting Dane Curse. Oh Got my God. into that. What a what a wild book. Well, yeah, Dane Curse is is wild. Also, Red Harvest. Yeah, I love Red Harvest. I mean, if you haven't read Red Harvest, one of the great things. One of the chapters is called the Seventeenth Murder, and almost all the murders are caused by the detective, which is <laughs> like wild. He's just kill. And he, well, he doesn't necessarily kill people. He kills some people, but he then he causes other people to get killed. You know, and for some reason, you know, I, but that's Dashiell Hammett. You know, he's very cynical and very wonderful. Dashiell Hammett knew these, you know, he was communist and he went to communist meetings and stuff. And, um, and they came up to him and they said, you have to name the names of the, of these people. And they, and they gave the people said, you have to say that, you know, these people and that you are a communist things with them. He says, you already know that you're telling me, he says, yes, but you have to say it. And he didn't. And they sent him to prison, but that's what Hammett, he was like, he was more heroic than his, his uh, detectives. He's a great, he was a great guy. He was like, I am not going to, you know, I'm not going to give up my, my, what's right. You know, you know, just because you're going to send me to prison, you know, and we never learned the Continental Op's name, you know. He's yeah, well, it's the Continental Op. The Continental Op. That's his. Yeah. That's his I, formal name. Her, see, it's, <laughs> but it's her name. You see, it's uh, Aaliyah. She's the. Yeah. She's the Continental Op, the international. You know. Right. Yeah. Is that it? I know, like you know, because I can talk forever. So. <laughs> but that's everything. That's all. Oh. Oh, every man a king. Well, Yui Long came up with it. That was his, uh, when he was running, running for governor of Louisiana, that was his thing. And there's a song, uh, you know, uh, Randy Newman has it in uh, the, the Good Old Boys uh, album, you know, Every Man and King, you know. Such a great album. Oh, no, no, I knew it from, from the beginning. Because, well, yeah, you know, listen, his name is King. Uh, he's named after Joe King Oliver, who, who taught Louis Armstrong how to play cornet. Uh, and, uh, you know, and, and he's got King in the middle, you know, and, and it's just, it's so cool. You know, the whole, the whole black thing, um, that you, you, you name your son King because you don't want anybody to disrespect him by using his first name. Say, if you're going to call me, you know, King, you know, then that's fine. You can call me King. If my name was Joe, that's not so much, that's not so good. You know, say, hey, Joe. So, well, no, 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 I'm Mr. Oliver, you know. There's some questions from our online audience. Don't yes. want to neglect them. Um, let's see. Someone, where I just lost it. Edward would like to know what happened to the Easy Rollins TV show. 
Well, I, I'm I I just uh, I, I, I'm writing uh, with uh, uh, Jerome Harrison, and I have just turned in a pilot to Apple. We'll see if they want to do it. Right on. That was an easy answer. That was very easy. Um, tell us a little bit about uh, working with uh, John Singleton. What that was like. Well, you know, John Singleton. I, I, I just love saying it was a great man. He really was. And it's it's funny because, you know, uh, as in, in fiction, great people always have lots of flaws. John had lots of flaws. But, you know, he was born in the hood. He lived in the hood. He had his office in the hood. He made movies about the hood. That was his life. And, you know, I mean, he did other things, of course, but that was a big part of his life. And he, he like, for instance, there was a, a woman who was uh, worked in the crew for, you know, shooting... Uh, the thing probably she's probably still there and so uh but john you know because he's living in the hood he's walking around somewhere you know and and he runs into this woman she knows him hey john how you doing he goes hi and she and he says what's going on i said well i just got out of prison you know it's really hard getting a job when you get out of prison nobody wants to hire you and john said well you could come work on on the set for snowfall he said if you can if you can keep the job you can have it and and they're like a, a hundred people like that, a thousand people like that. With me, John called me and he, and he said, uh, seven years ago, he said, Walter, I want you to, to, to go into the Snowfall writer's room with me. And he told me all about the story. And I went, John, it sounds like a great story. I said, but I don't write television, man. I don't know how to do it. And he said, that's okay, brother. All you have to do is come in and back me up, you know? And I was like, wow, okay, John. And that's what I did for the first two years. And then I started writing, you know, but, but um, yeah, so anyway, that's. That's did, that's something about John. Did Gary Gary write for that show too? Gary Phillips. Was, yeah, yeah. The last three years. Yeah. 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 Another great writer. Yeah. Good friend. And Tiger us. Williams also. I don't know if you know him. He he wrote he wrote Minister Society. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Very sad. Okay. Okay. Um, Questions about the editing process, just so. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's like this. You know, you, you do an outline, and, you, and if, sooner or later it comes to a rough draft. And you, and you go through the rough draft, and you, and you make changes. And then you read. So that's the second draft. Now you read through the second draft, and you see things that are wrong, and then you go fix them. And then that's the third draft. So you read the third draft and you see things that are wrong and then you go fix them. And then you do the, 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 the read there and, and it goes fourth draft, fifth draft, sixth draft, seventh draft, eighth draft, 23rd draft. Finally, you get somewhere, you get like the 23rd draft and you see things that are wrong and you don't know how to fix them. So the book's finished. You know? And, you know, and, and I think that that's the way it's going. And I think it's the best way to look at it because, you know, this whole notion of perfection, you know, there are no perfect novels. There are no perfect people, you know, uh, people and novels, are, you know, are, are close. You know, they, they, you, you understand them in, in the same kind of way and you love them for the same reasons, you know. But, but is there something else that you want to know that? Okay. All right. Yes. Well, now we see. Now here's the thing. If you came back to that book three years later, 
you would be able to fix the things that couldn't be fixed. And then other things would come up. But, you know, so, you know, right now you, you, you have a scene where these two characters are talking and there's a, I, I was watching a friend of mine, a movie from a friend of mine the other night uh, with, uh, it's called The Front. Oh, and there's a, there's a scene with Woody Allen and Zero Mostel, two of the most unlikely people you could ever see on screen together. And uh, it's the best acting job Woody Allen ever did. And it's a, a beautiful scene because Zero Mostel never says why he's there. And Woody Allen has no, uh, is, is responding to something completely that he's making up in his head. And if you wrote something like that, every time you look at it, you say, oh, wait a second, maybe he should have said this, or maybe he shouldn't have said that, or, oh, my God, well, you know, this is, because, you know, I, I, I set up this scene, but I, I've broken it down a little bit because he says this, you know. I, I must say, I, I talk, Walter died not that long ago, a year ago. He was 102. I asked him when he was in his mid-90s, I was interviewing him, and I asked him uh, how, he, um, how he ever wrote that scene. And, and he looked at me and he says, Walter, I don't have the slightest idea, you know, and I think it's that, you know, you know what I mean? It's, you know, who you are at that time, what it is, how you're seeing it. And you have all these emotions about, about it, which might be right. They might be wrong, you know. Let's see. Stacy would like to know, do you know what the future will hold for Asia? Do you have a plan? <laughs> Asia, you know, his, his daughter, uh, you know, Joe's daughter, uh, well, you know, I really like her. You know, I'm not like one of those people who take my care. You know, I know people say you're supposed to kill your darlings, but, uh, you know, she's going to remain my darling. I'm not going to kill her. You know, it's a, it's, it's a, but I don't know what she's going to make of her life. She wants to be a detective, you know, and I, I don't know if she will be, you know. I know she's thinking about it. I know she's really, really smart and she's really committed, you know, but I know that being a detective would break her in certain ways because she'd have to be more like her father. How about a question about uh, your, I know you, you read widely and broadly. Um, and can you talk about what your childhood, the portrait of the artist as a young man, what was in your library? What, what were some of the formative books for you? Well, you know, I, I'm, I've always been really kind of drawn to science fiction, you know, I, cause I just, you know, there's a, you know, when you read Jules Verne, which I, I think probably was one of my first kind of serious reading of science fiction, you, you realize Jules Verne invented the upcoming century. His writing, he just invented, so, oh, well, there's going to be submarines and there's going to be, um, you know, like his, when he figured out that you could shoot a rocket to the moon, you know, that's a much more efficient way to do it, to shoot a rocket to the moon, which is in this book. That's but, uh, you know, and, you know, it's just like he was so brilliant. Like, so, so science fiction is part of the, the creation of a new world or an old world or another world or a different way to look at life. You can, you can do all of those things. So I've, I've always really liked that, you know, and I've always really liked mystery. I mean, listen, I, I, when I was, the reason, when I wrote Devil in a Blue Dress, I had no idea it was going to be a mystery. Until I got halfway through it and I said, wow, this, you know, and, but I had read, you know, Ross MacDonald and, 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 and Chandler and, and Hammett and, you know, and all those other people. I mean, and, and it was just so... You know, there's something about that sense of noir, that 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 sense of humanity. You know, that yeah. that even Sherlock Holmes knows. You know, 
in Los Angeles, as we all know, is such a bizarre and sur surreal landscape, you know. And what's interesting was we had one of our, our talks during the, uh, you know, during the, the pandemic, and Walter was talking about how, you know, uh, there was nobody on the roads. And uh, what, what was L.A. like during that time? Yeah, there was nobody on the roads. Um, <laughs> the air was clearing up, right? The you know, the, the one of the wonderful things about America, n no matter what happens, everybody wants to fight. I just love it. You know, I'm going to fight you if you make me wear a mask. I'm going to I'm going to fight you if you don't wear a mask. I'm going to you know, uh, you know, I'm not going to take that vaccine. You know, it's a plot. It, you know, it's Bill Gates. I mean, I was you're like, wow, man. I mean, it's kind of wonderful. But it was subdued because there were no cars on the road. And, you know, L.A. is is the city of cars. I mean, I think there's like one and a half cars for every person in L.A. You know, very quiet yes. group tonight, Christina. Oh, you know, when you're on tour, you don't have time for that. I got here this, this you know, I got here this morning. I'm leaving tomorrow. You know, it's like, zoop, 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 you know, yeah, I'm gonna go. Yeah, but you know, I love the desert anyway. You know. Yes. Huh. It's, it's such a good question. I don't, I'm not sure I've read any new uh, uh, books. I've been doing a lot of rereading. I, I reread The General in His Labyrinth, you know, by Marquez, which is just so wonderful. I, I reread The Lord of the Rings, which I was just like, I, you know, because there's something about the writing of that book, of both of those books. The style of writing is so powerful that, you know, you... You really, you know, because if you do a novel or a comic book, right, you can't make a movie out of it. If you, the, the best parts of it will be inside people's heads. And it, it'll be my empathy with your feeling, whether it be really good feeling or really bad feeling. And, and I, I thought, I thought Tolkien was just great at that. And, and, you know, Marquez is just, you know, he's beyond, I just, he's, you know, I, I, I'm, I'll be talking to somebody. I, I had a talk with a person recently. Not that, not that long ago, a week ago, maybe. And, and they were talking about, you know, when they write books, it's really, really uh, clear. It's, it, 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 this, this street is like that. That street is like that. The reason they write these books is it, it is that way. As if you could know what a place is like. As if you could, I mean... There might be four or five people who know what Phoenix is like. You know what I mean? Most people, you know, they got they got their little Phoenix. You know, <laughs> and, and 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 there there's a, this ex, ex, expectation of false reality that really bothers me. And you know, and I was I was saying, I said, listen, listen. I mean, I wrote a story once, you know, an Easy Rollins story, and, and a Mouse was living in this house, and I ran, I did a reading, and a guy came up to me and said, "Hey, man, you know that in that book that that house that that Mouse was living in, that big blue house?" And I went, "Uh huh." He said, "I live across the street from that house." <laughs> now, in reality, he does, because he believes it. I made up that house, you know. I mean, I guess there's some chance that it that could exist, but I don't think so. And 
you know, it, it, what I love the most it, and what I look for right now, what I'm looking for right now in, in books I read and reread and, and that stuff is I'm, I'm looking to understand how I can break free of the, of the confines of false reality. Do you read Percival Everett by any chance? Yes. Love his stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And he's he's really good. There. What, what's the new one called? Um, it's called Doctor No. Doctor No, right? It's so wild. It's 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 a book about nothing. It's like it's like you know Seinfeld, but for real. It's like it's so wild. It's like is is a book about nothing, and some guy wants him to break into Fort Knox, which you know Goldfinger did, not Doctor No, but. And because there's a bag in there, and it's in, in the what's in the bag is nothing. Not nothing is in the bag, but what's in the bag is nothing. And so nothing is a thing. You know, he's it's just wonderful. I and I I feel that when you read that kind of uh, fiction, it frees you. It, it frees you to be able to think in ways that are, are you know beyond. I I got to go to the store and buy a bag of rice. You know what I mean? It's not. It's not that you know well what kind of rice man you know it doesn't matter you know and but he's yeah he's a wonderful writer and he's really brilliant um well this is a good segue who are who are some of your favorite writers well you know marquez is certainly you know uh, you know one of my my favorite writers uh i i you know i'm i'm always i'm always a little like when and i like almost everything he's written um but you know like, for instance, my favorite poetry is The Four Quartets by T.S. Eliot. I have no like or good feelings about T.S. Eliot. But that The Four Quartets is just amazing. It's just, it's astonishing. You could just just keep reading it, like, on a, on a you know, just on a circle. It would be, it, it's, it's, so, it's so brilliant. I love uh, some of the books of Roger Zelazny, the uh, science fiction writer. I just think, again, his use of language is, is, is kind of beyond me, you know? Um, but you know, I mean, I like, I like books. Hammett? Huh? Oh, sure. Yeah. There's Hammett and, and Chandler to a lesser degree. Ross McDonald, maybe even to a greater degree. Ross McDonald. I mean, he wrote the same story over and over and over and over again, but it's so great. And his explanations, you know, like Chandler's way over the top with, you know, his similes and stuff, but like, it, it, but, 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 uh, Ross McDonald, he's, he's like, uh, he, he's, he's like a surgeon with it. When he when he explains something to you, it's like oh my god, you know, it's it's kind of like you know, like almost like music. Philip K. Dick. You know, I don't. I mean, Philip K. Dick had great ideas. He had great ideas, and you know, the first like you know third of of every one of his novels was fine because you know he wasn't he wasn't jonesing yet. But by the time he needed drugs and he needed to finish that novel so he could get paid, so he could get drugs, the novel doesn't work anymore. I was like, was that one where the guy just, at the very end, he just flies into outer space? He just, his body, he just takes off in outer space. And you're going, come on, man. <laughs> you just yeah. wrote that so you could so you could get your fix. And my I wife, know it. My wife thinks he's a better short story writer than a novelist. Oh, yeah. That's yeah. interesting. Well, and I actually love the short stories of Stephen yeah. King, too. Stephen King, I think, is wonderful. Sorry to hog all the questions. Anybody? Else? They well, want to go, man. Yeah, yeah. Well, this guy, Robert, is, is a kindred spirit, and I'll give it right to you afterwards. Uh, no, go ahead. Do you read any nonfiction? 
oh, I love nonfiction. I love great nonfiction. Uh, I've I've read like the complete uh, like works of Freud, for instance. You know, it's just it's it's just because. But you know, it's a way of, of thinking. You know, uh, kind of selectively, I read Einstein because I mean he's so hard to understand. But you know, I, I, but anybody who who can write creatively about what what they do or what or something that happened you know, to allow you in to, to understand it, I think it is fantastic, you know, and I love, like I say, I love writing uh, introductions for people, you know, I, I, yeah, I did a, 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 an introduction for Alice Walker, you know, once, you know, who, she doesn't know who I am, but, but they asked me to come in there and, and, and do it. And I doubt I, that, but huh? I doubt that. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> I, you, you doubt it. But, I, but she was, it was so wonderful because at, at the end she, she went, uh, Thank you. That was that was that was good because she didn't expect me to like her, you know. And I don't know why I do, but yes. Well, the answer, of course, is the simple, you know, adage. Writing is rewriting. Right? You write it all down and it doesn't work. <laughs> so then you kind of go, well, where, where are those these things? And after a while, the, the, the places where the, the schisms are, it gets, you know, they're simpler and simpler. Like, well, he was here. He can't be there. Or uh, if they're feeling this, why did that happen? You know, there's all the, you know, those inner, you start to ask those questions, you know, much, you know, broader than, than you could ever think when you're just writing it down. All right. There's a Robert who's a man after my own heart. He says, have you ever read anything by Paco Ignacio Taibo? Oh, yeah. Paco Taibo. I love him. Man. Wonderful. He's, writer. He's, he's wonderful. You know, he's one. Of, he's one. Of, he's one of the communist writers. You know, we used to go to I, 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 we don't do it anymore. But but we used to go to to to, to Europe and, you know, right. to the Up the north. international crime writers, you know, the and um, and he was always there. Gijon. Is that the one that he up yeah. in the Basque yeah. country? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah. And that was, you know, he's, he's a, you know, he's a wonderful writer and, you know, and he's very, you know, he's very passionate, you know, about, about life in general, but also about writing. And, and about so, Coca-Cola and cigarettes, I yeah, remember, is this yeah. big thing. But he writes a series, or wrote a series set in Mexico City. Um, and some of the, he had this one-eyed, uh, I, yeah. I can't remember the guy's name, Hector Velasco Shane. He was part Bosque, part Irish. And, uh, you know, one of the books is called No Happy Ending, you know, um, but another, you know, great kind of unsung writer in this country. He's known all over the. Yeah, but he's a, he's you know he's an internationally known yeah you know writer. You know America's you know it's hard you know with America you know because it's hard you know because it, it it's hard you know because you'll find a lot of writers in other countries have a a point of view. Not and I'm not talking about the point of view of their characters. So you know Paco Taibo, you know I mean he's like. He knows what's wrong with the world, and and he's gonna and he's gonna show you, you know. And and every once in a while he's gonna fix it, you know. And and that's it, it's really it's great, you know. And and there are not so many of us here. I think the the younger generation of, of mystery writers is you know starting to you know uh, do Steph Cha I think is doing yeah. you know really interesting stuff and yeah, Ivy Pakoda interesting who Ivy Pakoda do you know her I stuff know. writing about L A yeah. Um, um. Let's see here. 
Ja. Wow. What's, what is that, that book that he wrote about being in prison? Uh, Cast the First Stone. Is that Cast the First or, Stone? Or, or Yesterday Will Make You Cry. They reissued it. Norton did. I think maybe it's Yesterday Will Make You Cry. Maybe. I, it's, 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 I mean, it's, it's crime because everything is crime in America. But, but, but also, uh, it's, but it's, it's, it's just his, it's, it's, it's his experience, you know, in prison, which is just amazing. And he's so brave. He, he, says, he tells you everything that happens in the 40s. Right. You could say it now, but like in the 40s, you're talking about it. And, you know, and really, I think Chester Himes is a better writer than Ralph Ellison. No question, actually. Word for word, I think he's a better writer than Ralph Ellison. And, you know, I, you know, I know why everybody loves Ellison. But, you know, when you're, when you're black and, 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 and everybody loves somebody, you really begin to question it, you know, because you say, uh-huh. All right. Yeah. Right. No. I think, listen, Chester Himes is, 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 he's just a great writer, you know, but also is Langston Hughes. I mean, you know, there's, there's a lot of like, there's a lot of like black writing, which is, is, um, you know, kind of lost in the world. Some of that kind of counterculture stuff from the sixties, like Clarence Cooper and hmm. Robert Dean Farr. Do you know any oh, of those guys? Yeah. 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 Really. Interesting. I don't know. The or John Williams, you know, John. Yeah, John Williams. Hey, Williams. John Williams is, is very challenging. I find it, I find the word very. I mean, I love the word, but I find it very challenging. All right. Anybody else? Maybe we'll wrap it up and have you sign oh, yeah, some books. No, no, right there. Still got some more. Also, it was interesting when you said that a lot of genre affects policemen for whatever reason. And it just made me think of some of the books that are about policemen. Joe Nesbo, Dick Elroy, it's a lot about policemen. I just wanted you to talk about a little about Elroy Lindley and also what, what what makes it interesting to be a policeman as a, as opposed to an ex-policeman. You know, it, I'm going to talk about writers. I mean, what, what I find really interesting is there's two reasons... Uh, that that uh, people are interested in a writer writing about policemen. The first is that that writer was a policeman, and I forgot there was a writer I knew. I listen, I forget his name, but, but he was you know he's dead now. But uh, I once went out to dinner with him and uh, and Ed McBain, and Ed was never a cop. Doesn't know anything about being a cop really, but he's studied it so hard he knew all the little nuances like you know with every everything and the guy who had been who was a captain in in the police force didn't know any of that stuff and it was so funny just to listen to them them talk you know because you know ed is like oh it's this and it's that and it's this and he'd go oh really oh i didn't, I didn't know that oh it wasn't ed you know ed d was it huh was it ed d no ed d e e <laughs> No, yeah. no. Or Bishop. Though it's almost close to that. And uh, listen, Elmore was the greatest guy. I listen. And I you know cuz he had that thing like Parker, you know, he he had he understood the internal humor of language. You know, and he can make anything funny. I mean, and and you know you're just reading it and loving it. And he did that great uh, movie Valdez is coming. I mean, my god. You know, and I I remember when he when he got the National Book Award lifetime achievement thing, I I 
bought my thousand dollar ticket and went because just so I could go up to the table, you know, and say, listen, Elmore, man, you, I just wanted to, to congratulate you. He died soon after that, but it was so funny because he went, I said, how you doing? He goes, well, you know, I finally got rid of that wife. Oh my God, she's terrible, you know. So like, you know, I'm on the market again, you know. And, and it was so, it, he was just, that was him. He was like, you know, he, he wasn't gonna slow down, you know, until he stopped. And, and it was just, it was so, he was so great. And you know, just, I, you know my, I mean, I love, you know, reading them, you know, I, and I love them when they become movies. And I, you know, I, I, you know and, he was, and he was just such a sweet guy. He was completely, you know, he, he was, it wasn't like he was humble. He was just like, hey, here we are, man. How you doing? It's great. I would walk into rooms and he'd be sitting in a chair somewhere waiting to meet with the, the you know, the reporter or whatever. You know, he was just so wonderful, you know. It's, it, you know, and, you know, and he was not, I mean, he was very ambitious, but he wasn't competitive, you know. And it's really hard to be ambitious and not competitive, you know, because, hey, I, I think they got more money than I did. I was having a talk with somebody today about it, and they got more money than I did. I was like, so what? You know, you know, uh, you know, I mean, if you want money, you go into real estate, you don't write books. You know, I mean, and if somebody gets a lot of money, number one, they often lie about it. Number two, it doesn't matter. You know, it, does, it doesn't matter, but it's hard not to feel that, you know, or, you, you know, you, you get this review or that review or, you know, whatever. It's true, but I was born and raised in L.A., you know. I mean, and the desert is right there. I used to go to Joshua Tree. You know, and yeah, you know, but I think that he he excited my love of the desert. That's that that's for sure. Yeah. Could you comment on um, if you're talking about Octavia Butler? Uh, and like, what so, I mean, you know, Octavia was a friend of mine. You know, as much as people are friends with Octavia Butler, you know, she was she was something. Uh, yeah, no, Octavia, you know, Octavia, I mean, her life was difficult, but it wasn't difficult like, you know, you know, uh, concentration camps and bombed out cities and, you know, it wasn't that kind of tough. It was just taking care of her mother, um, writing, you know, and, and get, cause you know, she worked for years and years and years and years to get where she was. Uh, when her mother died, she moved up, you know, up north. I think it was Seattle. Yeah, she was in Seattle. And she, you know, bought a house, and she was living next door um, to these two people who were scientists. You know, makes sense in Seattle. And and they asked her one day, what did she do? And she said, I wrote, I write novels. And so she gave them one of her novels. And, you know... Some weeks later, a month later, she saw him. She said, oh, did you ever have a chance to look at my book? She, and they said to her, we saw that it was science fiction, so we gave it to our children. You know? And I think that that was one of the big, you know, like, we, we, I remember one day we had a conversation about how do you, you know, because I, you know, I don't let the genre define me. So, like, I'm, I'm writing all this stuff all over the place. And, and she she really, she did say she said she thought it was a mistake that she hadn't done that because uh, people 
weren't recognizing her and of course now they do but it was after she died you know it and it's it's so it, it was so it was so sad you know at the same time i one day i was at a, a thing and everybody uh, you know a science fiction thing and everybody was talking about about octavia which of course she deserves it however one of the people on the panel was samuel delaney he's the greatest science fiction writer that america ever produced period and the audience were like, so Mr. Delaney, did, did you ever talk to Octavia? And I'm like, and I finally just said something. I said, listen, you people, she's gone. He's here. Uh, pay Dahlgren. attention to him. Dahlgren? Dahlgren. My God. Uh, what was that? Uh, Babel 17? Uh, uh, Babel 17? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, no, he, but he, you, you read the, the, his, his work. I mean, it, it would take a year to read any novel of his. You know, I mean... But, and you know, and I, I think Octavia wouldn't have trouble with me saying this. It's, it's not like I'm saying she's less. I'm saying that, you know, there, there are people who are, you know, coming up and, you know, what we do, you do is you, you say, well, it's going to be that. It's going to be, you know, Ralph Ellison, you know, and you say, well, yeah, okay, Ralph is great, you know, but there's still Chester Himes, you know, and there's still Richard Wright and there's still, you know, Langston Hughes and there's still Zora Neale Hurston and, the, you know. I have no internal battles with going from genre to genre. I have many publishing battles. Uh, and, you know, luckily I've been at it for so long. I know a lot of, of publishers, actually literal publishers. And so I can get them to, you know, publish books. It's just I have to not ask for too much money, which is fine with me. You know, I'm, I'm not, I'm not, you know, if I, if I write a book, I'm, I want to get it published. And if it does well, it does well. If it doesn't, okay. You know, um, but no, I don't have any in, I, inside, you know, I know. Like I, I wrote a book called Blue Light. It was my first science fiction novel. And it was a book about the soul because, you know, I'm not a spiritual person. And the only way that I can say I'm spiritual at all is because I believe that I have a soul. I can't not believe it. And so I wanted to write a book about that. You can't, you could write a mystery about it, but that would be really, it wouldn't be good, you know. You know, you could write write a war movie about it, I guess, you know, it wouldn't be good. You know, so I had to write, it had to be science fiction or alternate fiction or whatever they call it, yeah. But, you know, I, I write what I write. Anybody have a last question? Or can I Last give, question. Can I give, or maybe second to last. I'm going to, Stefania, our friend from Italy, always tunes in and she always has good questions. And here's one for you. What are your aspirations as a writer? Do you, have you fulfilled your personal purposes or are you still looking for something more? Hmm. I, I want to bring that around to sexuality, but I don't exactly know how to do it. <laughs> yeah. Somebody asks you, say, well, have you had the perfect orgasm? You know, you say, I don't know yet, you know. Uh, no, but, but do I have aspirations? I'm happy. I'm very happy being a writer. I'm very happy being a writer. That's a fact. But um, but could I do more? Can I be somewhere else? Yeah, I think so. You know, and, you know, and, and I keep trying. Well, thanks so much, Walter, thank as you. always. Thank and thank you all for coming out. And uh, thanks, everybody, for watching online. Hello. 
We hope you're enjoying our programs and podcasts with authors. We'd like to expand them, and your help would be appreciated. Please make a donation at poisonedpenfoundation.org. 100% of the proceeds will go to help connect authors with readers in this difficult time. Thank you.